Anyway, since we seem to be out of witnesses, I thought I'd drink a little. Yeah. We're recording. Hey, Rob. Hey, there we go. We're on. Welcome back. Nice to see you again. How was your week? Um, it was all right. It was all right. Had a bit of a cough the last couple of days. What? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, who knows? You got to stay at home, mister. They tell me. Yeah, yeah. You just stay home. Tough it out. That's good. Drink. We can do a little more of this if you want, whatever, man. Yeah. Yeah. Any sore throat? Anything else? No. Our viewers want to know. We have viewers. Did you see that? We have some viewers. How about that? Yeah, over 100. That's great. We now have a podcast. Perfect. Okay, so how do we get to that? How do we see the podcast or hear the podcast? Uh, it's in iTunes. Oh, okay. Good. Good. I'll, cool. Uh, look up Straight Law Cocktail in iTunes. And it's okay. Either. Okay, cool. Right on. We uh, put a link on our YouTube channel <laughs> watching this. Uh, if you're interested um, and you want to listen to it while you're driving in your car uh, or something like that, uh, just look at our YouTube channel after today. We'll probably have the channel up. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of exciting. Interesting. That is. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm running on the treadmill, driving in the car. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, let's get started. So last time, last week, we started with you making a cocktail. And this week, as you can see, I want to make a cocktail. And I thought it would be fun and fitting that uh, I make an old-fashioned because here I am hanging out with you, Rob. Little old-fashioned. Hilarious. So let me get started. And I, uh, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it. And please know I am not a bartender. So please, like, feel free if you guys want to leave comments about how I did it wrong. Uh, do. Uh, but I'm going to start by smoking my glass uh, with some wood chips. I got some hickory wood chips here. I don't have a small butane torch, but I do have a big propane torch. As you can see, I'm inside my son sleeping in the next room. Uh, so I'm hoping that this doesn't wake him up. There we go. Can you see the flame, everybody? I can see that. I'm just going to pour myself another straight law cocktail while we're watching you. Okay, I now have the wood chips lit and smoke is accumulating under my glass. And so while that is doing that, uh, I will get to mixing a drink. So I've got some ice in my shaker cup and I've got my funnel on top. And uh, we will start with our whiskey. Bourbon. <clears throat> My bourbon. So they call for two ounces, and I think that this is a bit of an oversized ounce there, but uh, that won't hurt me. I don't think I'll be all right. And then the next thing we do is we uh -huh. add, and some people make their own simple syrup, right? And I think that's the traditional way. I just bought some simple syrup. Uh, but I did go overboard with the smoking with the wood chips, so I think that it kind of balances out. Uh, so it just wants a little bit of simple syrup, so I'll use the top of this thing to do a little bit of simple syrup in there. There we go. And they want, uh, you know, most recipes just say they want these aromatic bitters. So I've got some of the aromatic bitters, and it just says put a couple of dollops or whatever in there. But I've also got some orange bitters, and I'm going to use a little bit of that as well. 
Uh, and I think that typically an old fashioned has some citrusy taste to it. And most people have an orange that goes in there. Now I looked at a video on how to do this and they said, don't shake it. You got to stir. And I don't know why, uh, but I'll do that. I'm going to stir it up with the ice, bunch of ice in there. They said 12 stirs. I didn't quite get to that. Uh, I'll put the lid on, pop the top off and I got a couple of ice cubes to add to my now smoked glass. Did everyone see the smoke coming out of this? Mm, I don't think you can see it. But it smells smoky. And there we go. There is the drink. Now, most people uh, do uh, take a, a rind from an orange. And I've got an orange, but it's kind of old and it's the last one. But I've heard that people can use uh, ginger. And people who know me know that I love ginger. So that is exactly what I'm going to do, is use some ginger in there. And that's my old fashioned today. Cheers. Cheers. All right, well, let's talk about the law. What are we talking about today, Rob? Let's talk about COVID. Talk about parenting with COVID. Oh, yeah. I guess that's what everyone's talking about. So, okay, let's talk about it. Uh, all right. I want to talk about more than just parenting. I want to talk about process and what we're doing, but let's talk, uh, let's talk about parenting first. We're, how, how has that been going for you and your clients? Well, I was in court on uh, Thursday. Okay. Classic COVID parenting argument. Um, one party thought the other party wasn't protecting the child from exposure and the other party assured the court that he was and the court had to make a decision about whether to continue the uh, previously defined parenting time for both parents and uh it's uh it's a classic dilemma i mean dealing with divorce anyway in parenting is difficult yeah hard enough as it is and then you add in theory what could be a life or death yeah to the equation and you have a mix that is destined for problems. And then you add to that, that the court is not generally available for people to uh, access right now. There's for the most part, court shut down other than emergent matters. And it makes- so how'd you get in? Well, the other lawyer brought an application to have the matter considered emergent. Um, okay. The court agreed with that. Oh, okay. Experience from what I've reviewed is most of the courts in Alberta where there's a cessation of contact from one parent to the other are willing to consider that emergent and are opening the court up to those limited applications. So now that's not to say that uh, that's acceptable or that we should be, we, that parent parents should be doing that and that we can just go access the courts. If that's the case, we should be able to step up and work together and it should be emergent and it should be a pretty limited circumstance where we got to bring an emergency application. Yeah. And that's the, <clears throat> that's the question. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, in a perfect world and most parents, I should say, in my experience, this is the only application I have. I'm a busy lawyer. You're a busy lawyer. Do you have any COVID applications going on right now? Not a one. I bet you I deal with COVID five or six hours a day right now uh, to do with parenting. Don't have a single application ready. Not going to happen. Well, not happening right now anyways. Yeah. So 
So my experience is the vast majority of my clients have been able to figure out a way to uh, coexist with, with the other parent. Um, and that those cases where they can't appear to be unusual, or at least mm-hmm. they aren't the rule, um, which is good. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things, you know, we've talked about this and that we know <clears throat> high conflict parenting is, is a good recipe for a child with adolescent and adult problems. Yeah. And so um, parents, wherever possible, should try <laughs> to find peace with the other parent, um, even if it means some compromise that they aren't completely comfortable with. It's my general advice. Yeah. So I've chatted with some parenting experts, uh, psychologists generally, and uh, there seems to be a consensus. And you know what? The the lawyers in our area have shared these documents uh, that, that are some recommendations from these experts. And there seems to be a consensus that you know, kids are going to struggle and have some fear and anxiety about COVID as it is and their life changing and school not being available or if you're not school age, the older kids not being in school and being home all the time or parents being home all the time and no daycare or whatever. The kids are going to be a little freaked out to begin with. And the parenting experts seem to agree, look, all things being equal, as long as the kids are safe, uh, that life should continue with both parents as it kind of has prior. Uh, and I think that's probably pretty good advice. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, kids are resilient. We don't want to put more on them than, than they have to deal with already. So to change everything in their life and then to also change how much time they spend with the other parent, that's a tough thing. That's tough on those kids. And especially if, if one parent wants to do that unilaterally. Now the problem is on the flip side, um, what we think we know about COVID seems to change every other day. Yeah. And so what started out as not a big problem, no need for alarm, travel restrictions are not appropriate, suddenly the borders are closed and we're all going to die and it's just a question of when and, you know, uh, but it is a serious problem and, and it's got serious potential consequences. And the thing I found interesting in the argument that we made, and I can't get into the details of the client's issues, but the, the, the difficulty, there's a case called Ribeiro and, and Wright, 2020 out of Ontario Supreme Court of Justice. Uh, and most of the courts are referring it. It's not a bad decision. But the thing that concerns me is it really doesn't have a nuanced discussion in my mind uh, regarding the risk and how you, how you, how you apply that risk. And part of the mm-hmm. issue is the risk to the child currently appears to be relatively minor, almost non-existent. Very few children, very few people under 18 have shown any significant problem with COVID. Right. But what do you got parents? Or worse, and the- parents living with their parents, which is not uncommon after divorce. So now you got seniors in a home with a child and I don't know that the courts, in my mind, are fully balancing community risk, both in terms of the immediate community and the larger community. Um, that child yeah. is fine, but that child's yeah. exposure um, could kill somebody. Yeah. And that's a tough call, right? So on the one hand, and Ribeiro says this, well, we should start with the presumption that a court order should be respected. Well, to me, that's kind of a bullshit statement 
candidly, because every right. order before March 1st was not made in the context of the court going, yeah, this disease might come along, they might kill a bunch of people, right? So we've got a pretty radical change of circumstances. So just sort of saying, well, we should respect orders. Yeah, I think that's a good concept, but I think it's a little more complex. Now, in fairness, the case I had, the judge seemed to, in my mind, understand that nuance, but uh, yeah, right? So you go on the one hand, well, children need both parents, no question. Um, it's, it's hard to say one parent should be preferred to the other, but, um, you know, if you got a case where another parent is not fully respecting social distancing or, or some of these issues. Or somebody works in public or, you know, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, when I reviewed the cases, very few, if any cases where the court hasn't simply rubber stamped the order for the most part, even yeah. in cases where one parent has evidenced a lack of respect for protocols to prevent the virus spread. Yeah. So, so it's a little problematic, but it gets to what we were talking about last week where the judges are human beings. They're doing their best in a very difficult situation. And keeping yeah, that's right. Well, we know this in family law, you know, <laughs> who do you believe, right? Dad says, or, you know, I'm doing everything I need to do. And mom says, I don't think you are. Um, dad says, uh, you know, and, and when there's a primary parent, still typically the mother, dad says, well, I'll do all these things. Mother says, no, I don't trust you. Um, who do you believe? And so I think that's why the court tends to maintain status quo. Um, because it's hard to say, and you deny children an effective relationship with with a non-primary parent based on allegations that are speculative. It's, it's a hard call. That's right. Yeah. It's that gets back call. to, you know, my issue, which is <clears throat> you should find a way to compromise. And if I don't care whether your father or mother, you should try to find a middle ground, even if it means something less than what you could perceive as perfection. And you know what? There is no better justice than the justice made by the parties themselves. And I've had just an enormous amount of success lately with the parties agreeing as to what they're going to do and how they're going to deal with parenting. And it's ranged, right? So I've had uh, clients and uh, opposing parties alike say, hey, you know what? I'm working in the public or, hey, I got to go take care of my, my parents or whatever. So, I, you know what? Uh, let's just do electronic access with the kids for now. Um, I've had some agree, you know what, uh, mom or dad's uh, exposed a little more than the other the other parent. And so what we're going to do is we're actually just going to get together as a family, uh, even though we're not living together and we're divorced or separated or whatever, and we're going to spend time as a family outdoors. And now the weather's improved, at least where we live here in southern Alberta, and that's now it's a possibility and it's a little more safe and uh, you can maintain a little more distance and hopefully keep the kids occupied. So, and then, you know, and then I've had parents agree, yeah, you know what, let's keep doing our 50-50 arrangement. Uh, uh, you know, we might not see eye to eye exactly on what we should be doing about COVID, uh, but let's maintain it. Uh, and then I've had some agree, you know, let's increase our communication about it. Can we each provide the other assurances as to what we're doing to protect the kids and, and uh, you know, and to adhere to, to, you know, social distancing measures and whatever. So, yeah, there, those have been some really good outcomes. And it's been, I'm at 100% right now. Everyone's getting through it. Uh, we've been doing, I've been doing lots more mediations lately. We've been dealing with that issue too. 
and it's been fantastic. Yeah, people are really stepping up to the plate uh, in, in, in our city anyway, for sure. That's good. That's good. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you know what, though? I, I get that, you know, you had to go to court uh, this week and that happens. And sometimes people don't see eye eye and it's not, just doesn't work. And, uh, you know, if a judge says, yeah, there's an emergency application and it's an emergency, let's hear it. Uh, that happens too. So, yeah. I think the difficult thing is leaving that case aside, which is unique, but yeah. generally speaking, uh, I think sometimes parents don't fully understand the impact of conflict, both on themselves, but definitely their children, you know, so you're arguing about kids that are five and three or six and four, whatever. Um, you, you see your kids as sort of these uh, benign sort of non-participants. Um, well, first of all, that's highly unlikely. Usually parental conflict is going to be perceived by the children, and sometimes it's quite overt. But the other problem you're going to get into is if you don't have a cooperative relationship with your other parent, um, at some point your kids are going to be 15 years old. And they are going to be a challenge in most cases. That's what kids do. How are you going to deal with the big problems? How are you going to deal when you've got a 15-year-old that's using fentanyl? How are you going to deal with a 15-year-old, 16-year-old uh, daughter that gets pregnant? A son that Running gets away from home. Pregnant. Yeah. And, and you don't have a working relationship. And if anything, the other parent is antagonistic and may go out of their way to undermine what you see as an appropriate response, and your child's just lost. And then on top of that, you know, one of the things I've learned from, uh, there's an organization called the Palix Foundation, um, and any parent that's interested, I'd urge them to look at the website, palixfoundation.org. And what they say is, high conflict between parents impacts children's uh, actual brain functioning. <clears throat> it can make them more likely to be uh, subject to addiction, uh, criminal behavior, promiscuity. So I, I think it's important that parents don't underestimate how minor skirmishes can turn into significant problems down the road. But uh, so, so, you know, if we're going to send a message out today, it would be just that. It would be um, try to find peace with that other parent, even when it's difficult, it's important. And it's not for the other parent's benefit. And you know what? It doesn't have to be for your benefit. Holy cow. It's gotta be for your kids. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the stupid thing is, you know, we make money when people argue, right? So when we part tell me, you, part of me should be saying, well, you know, if, if <clears throat> your ex is, is an asshole, um, you shouldn't put up with this. You should be in court. Right. Let's run a trial and let's finish it and get a resolution. Yeah. And every time you have a fight later, come on back. We'll run another trial. Yeah. Hey, if you want me to tell you that, I'll make a ton of money. Yeah. But you know what? So when we're telling you resolve this, make peace, be a family, even if it's, yeah. you know, a separated family, do it. Man, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's hard. You know, it's COVID thing right now. Even for me, I'll tell you the truth today. Yeah. I'm, What's her name? Dina tells us that they're shutting the province down for the rest of the summer. Dr. Gina Hinshaw. Dr. Gina Hinshaw is telling us that there's no little league this year. No kids soccer, no concerts, no stampede, no fairs. And I get it on a certain level, but 
there's a certain depression that goes with the loss of life that we knew. Yeah, there so is. I'm dealing with that. You know, imagine these parents are in conflict. So I'm understandable. I'm not judging people no. that struggle with finding their way with their their former spouse or partner. Uh, it's hard times. The COVID thing makes everything more difficult. Uh, I get it. But. And you know what, maybe to go back to our last week, there's, you know, there's a huge benefit to having uh, uh, mental health professionals involved in your life, whether it's with you directly or your relationship with your spouse, your ex-spouse, your kids, there's a huge benefit to that. And you know what, I've been working with a lot of mental health professionals on my files, uh, as I always do. And that hasn't stopped because of the COVID. We're, you know, they like us are finding ways to still meet with people electronically and to deal with that. So, so that's a good, that's, yeah, it's a good uh, segue back to our last episode. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about process. I want to know a little bit about process. So what, so we talk about, okay, we're doing things a little differently. What are we doing uh, differently and how's that working out? How's your practice? I mean, people see we're both at home, presumably I'm at home, you're at home. So uh, there's that. We're not in the office together. We're not really doing that. Our office isn't open to the public generally. Uh, there's still some documents that have to be signed personally. And so we make arrangements for that. We have uh, 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 meetings electronically, just like this, right? Uh, you know, we use whatever platform and we meet electronically. We explain documents to clients and then uh, they can come in, sign documents in the front of our office. Uh, we have a table it's sanitized in between each use. They take their pens home with them when they're done. Uh, we stand away. Uh, we sanitize when they're done. And then we take the documents, do what we got to do. Um, but as far as the, the real, the, the family practice goes, family law and divorce stuff, we've got, in my opinion, I think we've got about five different ways to resolve disputes. We've got negotiation, mediation, arbitration, collaborative law, and then litigation in court. And right now, the only thing that's off the table, for the most part, is this litigation in court. And, uh, you know, to stay on a positive note, just like all my parenting stuff has been getting resolved, uh, we've been doing it by these other four methods, and it's been just fantastic. Uh, how about you, Rob? How's, how's your practice looking? How's that going? Are you meeting with clients electronically? What are you doing? Yeah, uh, I've, I've met with a couple clients by Zoom, the process reason for this. Um, a lot of telephone calls. One of the things uh, I've noticed um, is the meetings in my office, they tend to be an hour. I book them every hour. There's 10, you know. And so they come in and they usually are there for an hour and we charge by the hour. I'm finding that phone calls generally, even complex issues, maybe half an hour. Hey, that's an interesting thing. Right, and so uh, I'm spending a little less time with the clients on the phone and I haven't really asked them for some feedback. Um, but you know, if they're going to save $250 for half an hour, that might be a benefit to them. Um, so that what they lose in terms of personal contact on some level, they may be gaining a little bit on reducing the cost. The other thing that was interesting is this application that we did. It was by teleconference. It was not in court. Nobody goes to court. Right. Um, right. Right. Unless, you know, you've got people in custody, but um, so you sit at your, actually we called in, I was sitting right here in my house. Um, I was fully clothed and all. <laughs> uh, and at a certain time you phone the court and you do the application. 
yeah. which is really unusual because a lot of people aren't aware of this, but we go to court generally on what we call interlocutory matters and chambers. We might sit there for two hours before a matter gets called up and your client pays for that. Well, when the court says, I'm going to have you phone us at 10 and we're going to start at 10.01, client's paying for nothing but actual work. There's no standing yeah. time. And I found that really uh, interesting. And, and I hope that's something they consider expanding or continue yeah. post-COVID because uh, legal fees are expensive. Um, and if we can find ways to be more efficient and reduce the cost to our clients, it's, uh, that's pretty good. So this is one of the things I was on a conference call with the provincial court judges yesterday not really a call, there's more a presentation for the provincial court judges, where they were talking about some of these things uh, being introduced in their courts. So it'd be interesting to see if we can continue that. Yeah, that's cool. That is good. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Good. Um, as far as process goes, anything else to add? I mean, I think you're right about some of the efficiencies that we can take away from what we've been doing. Uh, it's pretty, we can be pretty productive and we can be a little creative and we can rely on technology a little more than we have yeah. in the past. And if that can deliver people, uh, you know, I guess justice in a more efficient way, I think that's fantastic. We should have some takeaways from that. Well, the other curious thing is, um, you know, I've seen on the internet a little bit, uh, we're going to see an increase in domestic violence. We're going to see increases in divorce. Um, honestly, I'm not sure that's true. Um, I haven't seen any allegations of domestic violence since this thing started. Now, my clients tend to be a little bit different than they were 20 years ago. How about you? Like, have you seen any change? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So I actually do quite a bit of work, uh, in our city uh, regarding domestic violence. Uh, and I would venture to say, uh, except for legal aid, I bet you I'm one of the busiest lawyers dealing with that issue day to day. And, uh, I haven't seen any increase. I've actually seen a decrease, uh, for sure. As of late now, we need to keep in mind that domestic violence numbers are underreported consistently. And when systems are shut down that they are right now, that's probably going to be amplified a little bit, right? The underreporting or the, the no reporting. Um, and so two ways that we kind of see domestic violence uh, reported is to police agencies. And then police can help, uh, obviously, protect victims of domestic violence uh, and one way they do it is they'll get what we call an emergency protection order in favor of the person who's been subject to uh, violence. And so, uh, and then the other way we see it is uh, they can do it through their lawyer, right? So instead of going through a police agency, lawyers can go and help clients get what we call emergency protection orders, or sometimes we call them uh, queen beds, queen's bench protection orders, uh, or generally restraining orders or injunctions, if you want to speak generally. Uh, now, I was reading the news here in town, just our, our local news, and uh, I came across this story, uh, and there's this lady in town, Shannon Hansen, uh, and she is, uh, let me get it right, she was speaking uh, uh, to the media, and she is works at Harbor House, and she says, uh, look, only one in six of the people that they support typically or ever, she says, communicate or report uh, domestic violence to police. And she says, right now, 
they're not really seeing anything like that, and their numbers are down uh, as far as people utilizing the services that they offer. Um, so this now, is an interesting point, right? Not to interrupt you, but no, no, go ahead. We have kind of had the course shut down for pretty much a month now, over a month maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, people are in along. Um, things are moving along, not as quickly. Clients are a little frustrated that certain things aren't getting <coughs> done. But for the most part, uh, the world's not coming to an end because we're not in court every other day. That's right. And I think that's a curious reality that is worthy of some consideration. I remember yeah. when uh, Ron Stevens he passed away now, but he used to be our minister of justice and he was a phenomenally good judge. And I remember um, I was with him on a, <clears throat> on a train actually in Edmonton one day and we were talking about access to justice, which has been kind of one of my deals. Um, and he was talking about how they're making it easier for people to get to court. And, and I remember saying to him, we don't necessarily need to make it easier for people to get to court. We need it easier for people to find resolution. And it's not the same thing. No, it's not. And so, you know, there's this adage, you know, um, one of my favorite movies is Fill the Dreams. Uh, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Um, I have some fear that the, if we make it simpler to get to court, if that's all we do, We'll fill it up. It's not necessarily a good thing. No, let's examine that just a little bit. Let me, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is interesting. So court, the way court works is it is well, adversarial. That's what we call it. And it's adversarial in nature. And what that means is it's two parties fighting. They're adversaries, right? And so I always think of court, hey, that's my ring. That's where I go. And we're going to go and we're going to box. And that's where we're going to go and fight. Uh, and you know what? I love being there. It is my favorite place to be as a young lawyer. Uh, I make the most amount of money. I have to be smart, clever. I got to work uh, quickly. I got to, you know, be quick on my feet. I love it. I just love it. Uh, is it a good place for my clients to be? No, it is destructive. Adversarial means we're going to break down relationships. It's destructive. And you know what? Even if you don't have, if you have kids together, man, you don't want you don't want destruction ever. You got, you got to deal with those kids forever. It's not till they're 15 or 18 or 20 or 25. You know, they're going to get married. They're going to have kids. They're going to have grandkids. Man alive. You don't want that destruction. But even if you don't have kids, you think destruction of this relationship that was something meaningful to you for a significant amount of time in your life is going to be positive. It is not positive. Court is not fun for clients. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right about that. We don't, it's, you know, justice is not making sure we can get people into court. The, the best form of justice is clients making their own decisions about what they can do going forward. Yeah. Um, and that's where they should be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a conundrum. And it's something I think there's going to be a lot of debrief once this COVID thing resolves. What can we take out Hopefully of it? Yeah. We pay attention to some of the changes and ask ourselves some questions that we maybe didn't ask ourselves before. One of those things might be, um, how much do we need courts, right? Uh, are there yeah. processes, which people are obviously doing right now, um, that are more fundamentally uh, constructive, to use your term, than um, beating each other up in front of a judge? Uh, so, yeah. I think there are a lot of yeah. people struggling, men and women. Um, 
and I right now I find it hard to look at the news at all. Um, totally, because they, you know they exist to get attention, um, and that doesn't necessarily translate into honesty. So. Let's give a takeaway as far as this domestic violence issue goes. Be close with your friends. Be close with your family, uh, especially now. And you know that doesn't mean go and hang out with them uh, really close. I'm saying you know be in touch with them electronically. Let's stay close with those people. Be supportive. Uh, we don't know what everyone's going through, and domestic violence is a serious issue everywhere. It is. So let's stay close with these people and make sure everyone has support, all of your social network. Yeah. Now is important, uh, more than any time. It's so important. I'm not for a moment saying people shouldn't support Harbor House. I mean, it's no, a of course not. valuable oh. resource when you have nowhere to go, because not everyone has friends and family. Um, yeah. And so that that refuge is really significant. Otherwise... It's bad enough for people in domestic violence. Uh, they tend to accept and blame themselves, and and so I, I, you know, I don't want to for a moment say, well, no, that's not an incredibly valuable resource in our community. I no, just I'm incredibly valuable right now. That what I find is there's other lawyers, there's government, there's all sorts of people right now. They're using COVID as a mechanism to accentuate their moment in the sun. That's right. Just saying, you know what? Um, ratchet it down a minute. Um, be peaceful with the people you're involved with. Take care of yourself and your families, and try to look at uh, anything you see in the newspaper or online with a grain of salt. Um, so that's yeah. my closing comment, I suppose. And you know what? To top it off, I will reach out to both Harbor House and the YWCA here in Lethbridge, and I'm going to make an offer to see what I can do uh, to contribute to them. They are great resources in our city, um, and it's, they're very valuable for the people that suffer from domestic violence. So, any other closing comments? We've been here about about 40 minutes again. Was, Man, uh, that goes quick. Down a bit. Well, because... You're so damned entertaining. <laughs> That's what it is. No, I will leave it at that. Uh, no more closing comments. That's it. All right. Well, you, uh, you have a good weekend. And uh, you too. This will be on YouTube shortly. And cheers to everybody. Good weekend, everybody. Podcast. Cheers.